The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. Week 9, not quite in the books as we get to you here at 12, 12 a.m. Eastern Time. I guess y'all are about to, uh, we don't, I guess we will all usher in daylight savings time here. I forgot whether it, does it click at 2 or 3 o'clock? 2 a.m. 2 a.m. So probably when I'm uploading this, I will go back to 1 a.m., Hooray! Another hour to watch BYU and my beloved Nevada Wolfpack close things out. Well, on a, on a personal level, what sucks for me is that Aston Villa starts at 6 a.m. So on the one night where I could have gotten an extra hour of sleep after being up till, you know, 2, 3 a.m. doing all this stuff, I'm only going to get like three hours of sleep. <laughs> so when the girls get me up at 6 a.m., it will actually be 7 a.m.? Yes. Fall back. Uh, get an hour. So it's know. a win for you. Yeah. It's a gift. But the hours, okay. But, <laughs> I mean, they get up at they get up at the same time regardless. Whatever. I'm not going to. I'm too I'm, I've, I'm too dumb to understand daylight saving time, <laughs> and I will never understand it. Uh, we, we've got a lot to get to today. There's uh, a week to break down that includes, uh, I think, maybe three ranked teams losing to unranked teams, uh, another ranked loss in the in the case of Penn State, obviously losing to Ohio State. Uh, so a little bit of shakeups as I was going through tomorrow's top 25 today and turning it in. I don't see anything major, though the middle of the rankings very much in flux because of some of the defeats we'll talk about right here. Uh, you know, what what Texas did to Oklahoma State, does that change at all our thoughts about the Cowboys and is Tom and Herman in Texas? Are they back? Uh, the Tom, you were just live blogging the Buckeyes uh, win against Penn State. Penn State kind of made a game of it, but at the same time, uh, Ohio State was in control for most of that game. But I, I want to actually start off with questions because I want to know what y'all's experience was because things 
uh, picked up speed pretty quickly for me in the noon slate. How much attention were y'all paying to uh, Jeff Halfley and Boston College just crushing the haters in the first half against Clemson? And where was the upset alert siren in y'all's households? I was never really... I mean, I thought I, I tweeted at halftime or just before halftime. I said, you know, there's the second half is going to be very long for Boston College, but they can do it. I didn't think they would. I just I thought Clemson being Clemson. It's not even anything about Boston College. It's just a situation where we're so used to like Clemson winning and teams like that winning. So it's like at halftime when they're down, unless, you know, everything was a complete and total disaster. It's just like eh, they're probably going to. But it was close to complete and total disaster. There were moments in that first half where you were like, yeah, but it's not until it's like the fourth quarter in situations like that, where I get like, really like, Oh, Oh shit. This, this might actually happen. Then that, that going into the fourth quarter by then it was pretty clear to be like, okay, Clemson's going to win. Also but still wh- impressive for Boston college. Also, what was the, like, what were the issues that Clemson was having? Oh, like, there, like it, I didn't I, uh, go ahead. Well, they, they could, they couldn't stop the pass game in the first half. Like it, it was, it was bad. Like Hunter Long, C.J. Lewis, Zay Flowers, like Phil Trakovich was looking really, really good. And uh, there was the Travis Etienne fumble at the goal line, returned ninety nine yards the other way. Then right. you've got a third down stop that's called back because of a penalty. And then on top of that, you do the fourth down, which because the the penalty would have negated it. The penalty allowed for the fourth down to happen because it was a penalties offset. Uh, little Tessator comes up, runs to the line, gets to draw him off sides. Like without the roughing the passer penalty on the third down stop, then that possession is over. So not only do you draw him off sides, but then you get a touchdown. Like it was those sort of bang, bang moments where there were uh, seven 14 point swings in the game where at halftime I was on CBS sports HQ and I was thinking, well, I mean, when you talk about the recipe to take down a juggernaut and it is really, really hard to win 28 ACC games in a row without losing. That's why Freaking Bobby Bowden, Florida State has the record at twenty nine, and Jimbo's uh, like thirteen and fourteen teams have the the next one at twenty eight, which is what Clemson tied. The idea that I was like, no, it's really hard. And sometimes just things break the other way. All that was in play at halftime, and I thought that Clemson, you know, obviously came back, took control, and uh, and and was able to avoid it. Like with with a lot of stars and praise for DJ Uyunga Lale, who you know throws for almost like. At one point, we were looking like, is he going to touch Trevor's like career mark today? Finished with nearly 350 passing yards, uh, a couple scores, throw in one score on the ground. Um, and then that the defense tightened up, and I thought that was the key. The issues were the strange, unique circumstances that sometimes happen when a top team gets beat. We just can't really explain it. Just some hidden points, hidden yards. And then the fact that they were... Uh, not, they were having a lot of trouble with the Boston College passing attack. Those are the yeah. issues. But you mentioned the ETN fumble that was scooped and scored. And then there was like the penalties. But even at halftime, while Clemson was losing that game 28 to 13, they outgained Boston College in the first half. That's not to say Boston College is like you said, they were still having defensive issues because Boston College was averaging over seven yards of play. But Clemson still had 239 yards of offense to Boston College's 209. So that's why it's like the score I thought was a lot worse for Clemson than the game had actually been, which is why even at halftime, I was like, 
it's it's a two score game that that could take Clemson five six minutes to come back from in the second half. You know what I mean? So I was never really convinced that Clemson was in real trouble. Yeah, I don't want to act like I didn't think that there was a, a like upset was possible. I certainly did, um, but you know how many times is Zay Flowers going to beat Andrew Booth like in the second half? Like, is he going to do that all game? How many times is Phil Dracovic going to be like? Is he going to have another half of just like? toasting Clemson secondary. Are they going to get another scoop and score 99 yards? Are they going to get another fourth down conversion? And by the way, props to uh, Greg McElroy and Joe Tessitore for trying to call that Tessitore <laughs> um, uh, hard count as if the dude just made like a sick play. No, no. I mean, congratulations. But you just walked up there and said, hut. Like, like, let's, not, let's, not, let's not act like you just like win special teams player of the week or something. Um, I, thought, I thought you were going to be heartwarming for Joe Tessitore for having that moment with his son calling the game. And I thought you were going to be like, hey, that was a great moment. But no, you, you come on here and you're like, come on, bro. Who cares? You got he said, the guys uh, up on sides. It was, I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, uh, they kept, first of all, they kept on calling him Tessator, and they weren't even like they, they were just trying to be super, super professional and not not talk about the fact that it was like your son. Greg McElroy wasn't like, hey, look, that's your son. Or, or Joe Tessator was like, oh, that's my guy. Good job, son. It was like Tessator with the hard count. Oh, first down. Tessator with the big play. And Greg McElroy actually said, I think he like his quote in recapping like the drive was, and Tessator comes up with a big play for his team. It's like, come on, man. He's just trying to give his partner some love, man, because it's his kid. All right, so was he ready to snap it, or was that only a hard count play? Was he ready to quick snap and try and do the QB stink? Hell no. That's, that's, that's between baby Tess and, and, and Jeff Halfley. We will never know. No, he wasn't. He was trying to get him off. Um, I th- all right, so another piece of this, because I've – I woke up thinking Clemson might lose and it was the, uh, it was looking back on like James Skalski being at like all, all the Tyler Davis, you know, everything that we hadn't really been talking about. And I even said in the slack room, I was like, Hey, I'll be ready to write just in case this thing goes sideways. Cause I was kind of starting to have a feel that especially 31 point spread. And I was out here like doubling down, like, Oh hell yeah. Clemson's going to cover that 31 points. Doesn't even matter. Let's go. Uh, I I could just kind of sense that it might go the other way, but I feel like there's a lot of uh, encouragement and enthusiasm and belief in your guy, Jeff Halfley, because I kind of think Boston college outcoached Clemson uh, at a couple of key spots in this game. And that was a very, very impressive performance in terms of preparation and execution. Yeah, no, we're, we're still very early in the Jeff Halfley tenure at Boston college, but I feel like we can already say they've made a good hire and it's already at the point where it's like, huh, I wonder how long Jeff Halfley's going to be at Boston (laughs) college. Yeah. I mean, and, and not only that, but uh, I mean, what they've done, like I, I was not super um, optimistic about the offensive coordinator hire, but he's been great. Uh, they got Phil Jerkovic. Literally, I mean, I didn't. We had Phil Jerkovic ranked really high coming out. Leaving Notre Dame, I was convinced. Like I, I was saying, sort of tongue in cheek, jokingly early in the season. Remember, I was like cracking jokes, like, "Oh, Phil Jerkovic, 
second best quarterback in the ACC. Like, who is, is, is Derek King as good as Phil Dracovic? He may not be as good as Phil Dracovic. I don't know. It looks funky coming out, but it, I mean, the dude's making plays. And so they've got him playing his best ball. They're, they're playing complimentary ball. They're well prepared. They're, I mean, I, I, yeah, Jeff Halfley is a coach of the year candidate right now. Uh, and, and that program is in, in great shape. They're actually recruiting well. They're evaluating well right now, too. He's a star for sure. But but look, we we've we've glossed over the fact that DJ Uyunglele rolled in there. I mean, you said it, three fifty. But like, they can they can still win. It. Like Trevor Lawrence will come back, and all all will be back to normal. But if if needed, they can win a national championship with DJ under center. Like yeah, the was- ceiling the ceiling doesn't change. Yeah, that was like one of my takeaways too, because when Dabo said after the game that when he broke the news that you know Trevor's not going to be playing against Notre Dame, I was like, yeah, I think they're probably still going to win because I sure. I thought DJ played that well, and it's I think one of the problems too. I didn't I didn't watch most of the first half, but from what I was reading while the game was going on, was that he wasn't really being utilized on the in the run game in the first half because they were still kind of worried about him being banged up. And then in the second half, they said, all right, let's have him run the ball more. And I think that's what really got the Clemson offense going. And that's a kind of a that that's another dimension where it's like with Trevor Lawrence, he can do it. It's just I don't know if you want Trevor Lawrence to keep doing it because, I mean, he's a big guy, but he's also not really like a mobile guy. Whereas DJ, he's also huge, but that's part of his actual game. I thought that uh, so Frank Ladson also was banged up here. Joseph Nagata also banged up here. I mean, Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers had to step up in a big way. And if you want to sit around and get real, you know, you know, you know how there's a, there's a lot of like summer camp boyish enthusiasm to the Clemson football experience. Like we're always looking for life lessons. We're always looking for something that you can go and like teach your children about. It's it's about those senior playmakers, Travis Etienne, Cornell Powell. Amari Rogers, upperclassman, lifting up their freshman quarterback when he gets put in that tight spot, you know? And and Dabo said after the game, I told the seniors, boy, look, go look after that young man. Go help him along. But they played well. Also, shout out to Fidelity Tech's own Brian Brzee for just being a man child that I'm falling more in love with every week, just watching him maul monstrous type stuff. Um, okay. Who saw Michigan blowing it? Did you saw, you saw them, uh, you, you did pick them. You did uh, pick Michigan state against the spread. Mm-hmm. You didn't I, sur- surely you didn't think upset was, it was in the books. Did you? No, no. I mean, I even wrote like in the column, I was like, listen, Michigan's going to win this game, but come on. This like the spread's ridiculous, but mm-hmm. Yeah. That that was I was surprised to see him lose. I was I was somewhat surprised mostly by I mean just Michigan State offensively, I thought looked really good. Like it wasn't pretty, but like the problem was and the problem that they noticed and they exposed all day was that Michigan secondary has serious problems. Like Minnesota had some like th- a two or three 30 yard pass plays last week against Michigan, but kind of gets lost in the shuffle because, you know, Michigan won the game and Minnesota was also kind of chucking the ball deep because it was down. And also, you know, Minnesota's got Rashad Bateman. So you're like, yeah, that's going to happen. They've got big play receivers. And you didn't really think Michigan State was going to be able to take care of it, but Michigan State was just taking advantage of that all day. Here, let me, let me read, let me look at this 
read down they had these are their passing completions their chunk plays in the passing game they had a 30 yard pickup a 53 yarder a 50 a 40 a 31 those are so those are five plays of 30 or more and they were all pretty much to ricky white except for one of them and i mean they were just picking on michigan secondary so if you look at rocky lombardi's overall numbers like he only completed 17 of his 32 passes but he had 323 yards. So he's averaging over 10 yards per attempt because they were just chucking it deep and Michigan every was giving up too much. So that's certainly a problem going forward because if you can't stop Michigan state from moving the ball vertically on you in the passing game, what's going to happen when you're going up against Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So what's the story on Ricky white? I don't, what's like, what's the book on him? I'd never heard of him really. I, I mean, well, I'd heard of him, but he wasn't anything that like was somebody that I thought was a standout or was a kid that was capable of having that kind of game. But man, he had eight catches, 196 yards. He had the touchdown. Uh, it was He was making big plays. He was getting open consistently. And it wasn't just like, you know, hey, he's wide open catching passes. He was making some difficult catches too. He made some really impressive catches. So it's like, I'm looking at this Michigan State offense and I mean, Seriously, like going into last week, we were talking about how Rutgers was going to beat it and Rutgers did beat it. But the offense actually wasn't horrific last week, save for the turnovers. But I didn't have very high hopes. I was pretty negative about Rocky Lombardi and this Michigan State offense. Kind of quickly coming around thinking, hey, I don't think this team's going to be really all that good. But they're a lot more, I guess competent is a good word that I had anticipated, particularly offensively. Lombardi looks light years better than he has at any other time that I've seen him playing. I still think that they they don't have much of a run game, which I think is going to really doom them in the long run in the Big Ten. But they're going to be able to put some, you know, they're going to put some points on the board. Ricky White, uh, same wide receiving core as LSU's true freshman Eric Gilbert mm. uh, in high school. Harrison Bailey was their quarterback. He's at Tennessee now. Uh, out of Marietta, Georgia. Uh, so that team sucked. <laughs> <laughs> they had a couple weapons. Um, I, you know, the thing, the thing about this is like we've, we were like we've talked about how Michigan State is going to be down this year with like kind of to no fault of their own. Like they're just, it's a tough deal. They've got a lot to fix, they've got talents that isn't really like top of the league. They've not had time to sort of renovate the roster in that regard. Uh, Mel Tucker didn't have time to get his stuff in place. And what do we really know about Mel Tucker anyways? Like fast forward to first Michigan game of his career, just flat out out coached Jim Harbaugh, like just beats him. And I think this is, I think this is a, a significant loss in a way that the other big losses maybe haven't been for Jim Harbaugh, because when we evaluate Michigan and when we evaluate Jim Harbaugh, we, we like evaluate him with this impossible uh, standard that he has to, not impossible, but it's a tough standard. He has to beat Ohio state. Who's always one of the top two or three teams in the country. And he has to be competing for like playoffs. And that's like, you cannot be doing that and still be doing a fantastic job. And he's, kind of that's sort of been what it is like he's still winning 10 games he's still elevated the program significantly from where he found it but you can't lose to Michigan State in Mel Tucker's first year as a 24 point favorite and I think 
I'm not saying he's going to get fired because of this, but I think that now the pressure, the pressure, the pressure's always been there, and it's always been, it's always been um, pressure come from people like us just talking about it, people writing about Jim Harbaugh. I'm not sure the pressure has actually been there inside that building, inside that administration. People saying you got to win or you're getting let go. I, I don't believe that to be true, but. I think now that there, there is starts to be some real pressure that like, okay, this isn't okay. So you can't lose to them. I don't think there's as much pressure week to week. I think we swing more violently than necessarily the fan base of the administration or the power brokers, like whoever those important people are. I think they are, I, th- I think they are, uh, what's the like the standard line we get at the end of every single season? It's like, well, just like we do every year, we'll wait till the end of the season and we'll have an evaluation period. Like we'll do... sit down and evaluate everything. We're yeah. Go through everything and decide from there. And I think but that I- when you do the final evaluation of Jim Harbaugh teams, the final evaluation was like, well, you know what? That wasn't that bad. It just really stings when you've got a loss like this one. And listen... You're right, especially when we think about uh, like the fact that it is Mel Tucker's first year, all the disadvantages, the fact that they were 24-point favorite. Like, There's a lot to be able to circle for this particular loss to say that it, it took a lot of like points out of however many points Jim Harbaugh had on his little scale before things actually started to get a little bit intense and a little bit of pressure that even Jim Harbaugh would have to be able to recognize and feel. But, I mean, if they go on and win most of the other games that are on the schedule and then show up to Ohio State, at least with a a chance to win it and tie for a division title, then you're going to be like, okay, all right, well, they screwed up in that Michigan state game, but you know, dirt bike offense was good. And Don Brown's defense settled down and showed that was just sort of like a one game fluky type scenario. You got to be able to give some forgiveness for the fluky type scenarios in this season for pretty much any team. So, all right, they've got, I mean, I, I look fair, but I guess my point is when you lose to Ohio state for the sixth straight time, if you also like, I think a lot depends on what this Michigan State team is. If I think if we look back, if Penn State goes in into two, the big house and wins, then all of a sudden we're having this like different conversation potentially. Like sure, there's a couple other sure. spots along the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, sure. But I think like if 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 Michigan State turns out to be a really good team, and you know Michigan State goes uh, five and three or something, and then, then okay, this is a little bit more forgivable. But if we look up at the end of the year and they've lost to Penn State and they've lost to Ohio State and, you know, they, they beat Maryland and Rutgers and they, I don't know, split Indiana-Wisconsin, that's going to be a tough look. So, and, and, and I think it's a different – it feels different when you lose to Ohio State with some of those other losses on your, on your resume. So, I, I don't know, man. Like, I just – this is a weird deal for, with Jim Harbaugh. It just is. It continues to be a weird deal. And, uh, and I, and I don't, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly, um, what, what it's going to take for them to actually turn the corner. Yeah. I think 2020 is going to be kind of a weird factor in it too, simply because I don't know what Michigan's going to want to do in a season like this one, but I, I get what you're saying. I don't know that this is, I think that this game is probably definitely going to raise some eyebrows because of what you said, like this is 
they, they were favored by three touchdowns to win this game. And now I can't remember what the stat was, but I think they're now one in six the last seven games at home against Michigan State and Ohio State under Harbaugh, which is not great. And then, you know, this is Mel Tucker's first year at Michigan State. He's already picking up a win over Michigan in this game. Only one other coach has done that in the history of this rivalry. Do you know who it was? Nick Saban, the birthday boy. Ninety-five. Nick Saban, the only Michigan State coach in history to beat Michigan his first time playing them until today. Until Mel Tucker did it. Just do it. Just do a little bit of midday uh, updating HQ. You know that's on the top of every fact sheet that's getting distributed to the. Uh, Is it the news desks? Here I was thinking I was slick. Um, okay. I feel like we need to uh, address the, uh, let's see. All right. Let's, we are not going to do a pokes to go segment every single Monday, <laughs> but I do think it is important to address maybe not the state of like poke nation, but at least the president of the Oklahoma state college football playoff fan club uh, there is a media availability. Uh, it's just going to be a scrum in the back hallway. Barton <laughs> Simmons, how is the association feeling after an overtime loss to the Texas Longhorns at home? We're bitter, man. We're 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 not happy. We we were the better team. Um, yeah. Yes, I were. mean very clearly. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma team. State was the better team. <laughs> Like, mean, hey, but that being the better team does not mean you win in the Big Twelve. This is no, the Big Twelve. <laughs> no, it sure does. Um, Scoreboard doesn't say I mean, you're the better team. No, look, I mean it, it's weird stuff happens in the Big Twelve. Um, weird stuff happens in that game. I mean, look, I, I even I, I obviously I picked Oklahoma State to win and cover, and I acknowledged that this this could go awry because. Oklahoma State might not take care of the football. Spencer Sanders might have a couple turnovers, and what do you know? Look up, and and that's that. That's what that's what killed us. Uh, um, the you know I think the 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 referees didn't help a lot uh, over the course of the game. I think the problem the problem is Oklahoma State really needed that game because Oklahoma starting to play really good. And you know, I just don't know what's going to happen the rest of the way. Like, I don't. I'm not confident Oklahoma is going to get Oklahoma. Oklahoma State's going to get Oklahoma. I think that you miss an opportunity there, be as a better Texas, and letting them get out of there with a win. Um, now, you may not have had a player as good as Joseph Osai on your team, but your other 21 were the better 21. And um, you let that away, so that that's that's going to be tough to swallow. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I, I watched this game. I had it on a secondary screen most of the time, but I had an eye on it throughout. And I didn't just watching it. I didn't really understand how badly Oklahoma State was actually dominating the game until afterwards when I looked at the box score. And it was like, oh, because <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma State had 530 yards of offense. They held Texas to 287. They held them to 3.8 yards per play. On the ground, Texas only averaged three yards a carry. So, like, the Oklahoma State defense that we'd hyped up or, like, talked up all year actually played really well again in a game that it gave up 41 points. And I say gave up with the quote marks because, again, it was the four Oklahoma State turnovers. But I was... 
I was going to come on the show trolling you, Barton, because, you know, the other day during the locks pod, I was wearing the Oklahoma State T-shirt while picking Texas. I was going to wear my Oklahoma State hoodie for tonight's show, but I got yelled at by Oklahoma State fans and I didn't want them to think I don't like Oklahoma State because I do like Oklahoma State. But, yeah, this is a uh, this is a tough spot because they're still in first place in the conference. But it's like you said, I don't have any confidence that they're going to be beating Oklahoma at this point. So I think that's going to be a loss. But the good news is I still think that with Kansas State losing, especially, and we'll get to that later, I'm sure, too, they're still in the driver's seat to get to the Big 12 championship. So they still have a lot to play for. It's just this was one of those games where it's like you play really well and then you get Texas at the end. You get you get Sam Ellinger, the iconic Texas quarterback who doesn't have to play well to beat you. He just has to make a couple plays when the time calls for it. Yeah, but there. All right. So we've talked briefly and I've admitted that I'm not the most dialed in person on this. It's something that I've sort of just picked up. A lot of it is our colleagues, Kyle Porter, Kyle Boone. A lot of it has been Kerchival's uh, sort of Big 12 expertise based right there in Austin, covering the league so closely for so long, even beyond his time with us here at CBS. But that mindset of Oklahoma State that's like, yeah, I know things look good, but you just wait. You just wait. Something's going to go wrong. It always does. Like that kind of mentality almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you turn the ball over five times. Like you have, you nearly double up your opponent in total yards. You nearly double him up in first downs. You dominate the box score, as Tom mentioned, but you turn the ball over five times and you get Texas like that sort of, uh, that narrative is what almost makes it tough as somebody who has to make predictions like Barton. It does take real stones. It takes real stones to jump over that long flowing moat of just sort of like um, defeatist self-fulfilling prophecy. That's come around too many times with Oklahoma state. Like, nah, this is going to be the year they do it because this is another chapter in the heartbreak and the scars and the wounds that Oklahoma State fans have from seeing a very talented team, the better team, lose to a Big 12 foe. But here's the thing, though. Oklahoma State hadn't played any powerhouses. They they were a team that a lot of people – we're pointing at as that's a fraudulent top 10 team. We don't really think they're a team, do we, Oklahoma State? And in a way, yes. I mean, losing that way is frustrating for us Poke fans and, and seeing the, like the way that went down, the, you know, we outplayed him yet. But I think a more encouraging way to lose than the alternative. Like, what if they went out there and got exposed? What if they went out there and Texas outgained them yards per, and Texas turned the ball over? Oklahoma State was lucky to get it, be in it. Like, no, that's not what happened. Oklahoma State actually was the better team. Oklahoma State does have a legit defense. Oklahoma State, like you look at the rest and if Oklahoma State, and you could be like, you know what? We're still number one in the OAN poll. We can still get out there and get after these guys, and we can still go win the rest of our schedule. And I think that that's exactly what they're going to (laughs) do. I agree. That is exactly what they're going to (laughs) do. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's all right. You you can still accomplish it all. Um, 
you're still number one in the OAN poll. So you're, you're good. You're ready to rock. Um, OAN kind of spells one in a weird way. There you go. Kansas State, you mentioned, loses to West Virginia. Uh, Iowa State takes care of business against Kansas. Uh, Oklahoma thumps Texas Tech. Big 12 title race. I am not coming away thinking that I'm ready to move Texas back into it. Plus, Texas is uh, like, you know, um, you know, still very, very, very flawed in a lot of different ways. Oklahoma, I feel the best about in terms of the quality of the team, but things aren't great in terms of the tiebreaker scenarios because their losses are to Iowa State and Kansas State, two of the teams that are also up there. Uh, we mentioned the Cowboys take their first loss. Who do y'all think plays for the Big 12 title on December 19th? Bedlam. So, let me think. So, I, I like, do we not have to, what, is it is it that easy to calculate, Tom? I think so. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, where, where, where? No, I'm just so like, where does Iowa State fit in? See, I guess. that's the thing. Like, can't the, the Kansas State team that played today is going to lose another game? Iowa State. I feel like they're they're good. They they are what their record says they are, but they also are very much capable of losing another game or two because that's just the situation it's not like their world's better and this is the big 12 where you know we're taking the underdogs every week and if you look at their schedule though and they've got baylor that's probably a win they've got kansas state which might be one of the kansas state losses i just mentioned and they've got texas on the road so that could be the one trip up spot but that second loss if both them and oklahoma have two losses that's the thing like we're looking at a situation where we could easily have iowa state Oklahoma State and Oklahoma with two losses at the end of the year. So then we're going to have like a three-way tiebreaker scenario and I have absolutely no idea how the hell that's going to work, especially if they've all got to win against each other. Record against common opponents in the order of the standings. Does that mean? Yeah, that doesn't help me. It's like like we, we go team by team and it's like you just wait until... Like if you both beat them, you move to the next one. You both beat them, you move to the next one, and then uh, okay, like you, you finally wait to a point where one of you got a win and one of you got a loss, and that ends up deciding it. So Last that means that. all eyes on who Texas. That means all eyes on Texas yeah, to determine tiebreakers. Uh oh, Oklahoma State's in deep shit now. <laughs> so you're so like that rewards you for like if. If you're going to lose, lose to a bad team. Right. Basically. Yeah. 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 Make make it as fluky as it could be. Yeah. Feel free to lose to Kansas, boys. It won't, <laughs> it won't be a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we continue to take our look across the country. Week nine action next. Stay refreshed with Taste Salud, the ultimate hydration experience. Dive into the world of Agua Frescas, designed to elevate your day, boost your energy, stay hydrated, and unwind with Salud's on-the-go stick packets, each with just one gram of sugar. Exclusive for our listeners, enjoy a 10% discount on your first order with code TASTE10 at checkout. Visit tastesalud.com for the full selection. Taste the difference with Taste Salud. Cheers to health. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, so we've got uh, Michigan's loss. We took a look at the Big 12, checked in on the state of the pokes. Uh, Clemson, taken care of. Let's see, I also want to make sure we hit uh, the the Gus Malzahn, win it for the extension, Bo Nix revenge game, however that one stood out to y'all. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of Notre Dame-Clemson look ahead, certainly with that uh, that win against Georgia Tech. I know that Probably that talk was Ohio State too. Oh yeah, the <laughs> Tom, you just live blogged this game, and yeah. it was very casual to watch it without responsibility because at no point did I think yeah. Penn State was going to win this game. Like from very early on, it looked like the Buckeyes had taken total control. Sean Clifford was running for his life. A lot of dirt in Sean Clifford's helmet as he was just constantly getting hurried by Ohio State's defensive front. I mean, what's what what stood out to you? You were more dialed into it than I was, but so let me know. That's that's pretty much how it felt being dialed into it too. Because I mean, Ohio State gets the opening kickoff to touchback, and then the very first play from the scrimmage is like a end around to Garrett Wilson that picks up fifty two yards, and then two runs later, Master Teague's crashing into the end zone. So it takes him three plays to move seventy five yards, get up the board, and you're just like. All right, gonna be one of those nights, isn't it? But I will say, you like Penn State on its first possession. I give James Franklin credit. I saw him taking a lot of heat for it online, but Penn State had a fourth and two at like its own forty-one on the very first possession of the game. He kept his offense out there to go for it, and they didn't get it. They got stuffed, and then Ohio State went and scored fourteen to nothing. And a lot of people were giving him grief, but I was like, I thought that's exactly what he had to do if he was going to sit there and think that his team had a realistic shot of beating Ohio State. I think that's what every team has to do if things it has if it's going to because you're not going to stop that offense often enough to sit there and think that you could afford to sit there and play the field position game against it. So I applaud Franklin for realizing that early and taking the shot. It just didn't work. But this was like the score was thirty eight twenty five. That makes it look a lot closer than it was. And the game was never really a blowout on the scoreboard. But like you said, Chip, there was never any point where you thought Penn State was going to make a game of it. Like there was a strange thing at the end of the half where Justin Fields knelt throwing out the clock on a fourth down. But apparently he knelt and left a second on the clock. So even though all the teams had gone to the locker room, the refs made everybody come back out. Gave Penn State the ball with a second on the clock. Penn State kicked a 50-yard field goal. It was good. Made it 21-6. to six. Then the third quarter starts. Penn State has the ball. Had 75 yards total of offense in the first half. Goes 75 yards on its sec- you know, very first possession of the second half. And now, all of a sudden, we're talking about a 21 to a, like, what was it, 13 game. And you're sitting there like, okay, maybe. And then Ohio State responds immediately by going right back down the field for a touchdown drive, just like it did in the first half. And you're like, okay there's no real shot here, but it's just 
Ohio State's really good. That is the main takeaway. Justin Fields, 318 yards, four touchdowns. Garrett Wilson, 11 catches, 111 yards. Chris Olave, seven catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns. And it felt like every single catch Olave made was like on third or fourth down, just complete shoving the knife in the stomach of Penn State's defense over and over again. And then like last week, the concern offensively was, well, you know, the run game, still kind of questionable. Master Teague, 110 yards on 23 carries with a touchdown. And I thought more important than anything, because one of my concerns last week against Nebraska was, Justin Fields was carrying the load for the rushing attack. Only six carries for Justin tonight, and two of those were counted because of sacks. So he wasn't asked to run the ball very often. They were saving a lot of hits on him, and they were moving the ball down the field just fine. Defensively, you're going to be shocked to learn that Ohio State's defensive line, really good. Five sacks, seven tackles for loss. At one point, Zach Harrison just completely collapsed the pocket met both Sean Clifford and Devin Ford at the mesh point, tackled them both at the same time. It was hilarious. And then Penn State offensively, the great news is Jahan Dotson, I think, has emerged as a playmaker, something that that we were wondering what they were going to, you know, with losing Journey Brown, like the big play threat in the running back game. And then at receiver, it's like they had Pat Firemouth, but after losing KJ Hamler, who's the go-to guy in the receiver core? Who's their Garrett Wilson? Who's their Chris Olave? We're on third down, you know, Sean Clifford can look for that guy and make a play to keep the chains moving. Jahan Dotson seems to be that dude. He made a couple spectacular catches. The one everybody sees is the one-hander he caught for a touchdown, but he finished 144 yards receiving, three touchdowns. So there's a silver lining for Penn State moving forward. But the problem is for Penn State, they've already been eliminated from Big Ten title contention because they're 0-2. And as far as the standings and tiebreakers are concerned with Ohio State, there are three games behind Ohio State already. And Sean Clifford, again, we've talked about it. Good quarterback, but he's not Big Ten winning college football playoff berth quarterback. Yeah, I, I like a whole lot of thoughts from out of this game. I think that um, I think this has validated a lot of what I felt about both teams. You know, Tom kind of hit on there's it's kind of not really a feel bad game for Penn State by any stretch. Like you like this almost like validated it as a team just the fact that it was just sort of able to hang around and keep battling and, and uh, keep fighting and staying competitive. And yet even at third, as a margin of victory, Ohio State's a clear tier above and continues to look like a college football playoff team. And Justin Fields continues to look like maybe the best player in college football. So I don't know. I, I watched it. I really did. I just don't. I mean <laughs> – it's it is what it is. Like that's the t- they are what we thought we were. They were. Yeah, I, I had to do the takeaways afterwards. And my number one takeaway after watching the game and just watching the Big Ten in general through the first two weeks is that the only thing that's stopping Big Ten this year is COVID. Like as long as they don't get a bunch of COVID cases that cause them to lose key players or games aren't canceled because of it, which considering the way things are going in the Big Ten already, we can't assume that's not going to happen. But other than that, I don't see anything in the Big Ten that is stopping Ohio State this year. Hey, so <laughs> Bronco Bronco is living rent-free in the head of North Carolina right now. I mean, they, they, they lost in that 2-10 season for UVA, but Wahoos have been crushing it. 
My who's are back. Mm. I didn't really get much eyes on that game until the end. So because I, I, I tuned in and I think how much was Virginia up by? They were up by like 17 at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just like, OK, well, fourth quarter, North Carolina could make an appearance, but I've got Penn State, Ohio State going on. I've got other things. So I just kind of lost track of it. Then I kind of saw it at the end where they pulled off the fake punt to ice it at the end. They actually did make an appearance. Fourth quarter, North Carolina did make an appearance. No, there, mm-hmm. Yeah, there were two surges. Virginia jumped ahead, then North Carolina came back, and then Virginia jumped way ahead again, and then North Carolina came back again. But uh, but no, they um, I don't know, man. They're they're just not quite ready to be. Uh, they're not quite ready to be awesome yet. No, they're not. Uh, they're really and, good, but they're not ready to be awesome. And how about Big Balls Bronco? With the fake punt on his, like, with under two minutes to go on his own, what, 45? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Up three. That's, there's, that's a legit, that's, that's legit. There's a reason I've always been a fan of Bronco Mendenhall teams. They're physical and they're not scared. He was, uh, He's been doing for any anybody who has not been watching Virginia, which by the way was one and four going into today's game against North Carolina. Uh, the Wahoos, not only because of injury but also out of choice, have been rotating through three quarterbacks. And I know he's y'all's boy, but there's a whole lot of putt putt of that offense. I mean, the gimmicks and the trick plays are. Uh, excessive and you know what like when you save all of them for one of your most important games like when you've got north carolina in town you can put together a killer game plan but there's also a reason why this virginia team has lost to miami and nc state uh and taken some of the l's along the way they had a great game plan they executed it perfectly i thought north carolina uh really buckled in a lot of pressure moments on the road and the mistakes that they made, particularly at the end of the first half and then not being able to get the stops they needed needed in the second half are kind of what lead me to my, they're really good. They're just not ready to be awesome because this is like the worst opponent that you could play. If you are uh, riding a little hot, just kind of only relying on those explosive plays because Sam, how I'll give them to you. I mean, what, what, let's see. 443 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions on 23 of 28 passing. Like the, it's there in the box score, but I'll tell you watching that game, it kind of felt like it was real feast or famine for the Tar Heels. So that was a a little side TV game for me. And I was looking on social media. It sounded like some people were frustrated or upset about the coordinator play at least in the first half did they bungle some red zone stuff or something um what was going on with that a lot of good a lot of reasonable questions for the play call there was like a it ended up being a big uh decision because to try and throw the swing pass it ended up being ruled as uh, potentially a backwards pass which led to a turnover and was a you know zero points when you had a something right at the goal line especially I did see that play when you've got Javante Williams and Michael Carter, I think the idea is you give it to one of them and just try to see if they can power it in the end zone. So just just r- normal run the mill play call questioning. Yeah, I'm not 
I've, I've, I've tried to be a little bit less on that kick. Like as I've, um, right. I'm saying that that's what I'm not saying you're doing play call questioning. Sure. I'm saying that's what the Tar Heel faithful were to. I always like the, uh, questioning the play call because it, 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 like at, at its core, being a fan and questioning play calling says that I believe I could have done it better. And it really takes a lot of confidence in your own smarts to be able to just be out here and being like, I'd, I'd really like better play calling from our staff in the third quarter. You know, I've watched all the games this year and I'd like better third quarter play calling. Well, anyone that's played Madden or NCAA football <laughs> on PlayStation, like they've called plays and they've won <laughs> games with those plays. Like I've won some. I've won some games. I know. Yeah. I, I know what to do in the red zone. Yeah. So it's an it's an easy it's easy to turn to. Um. All right. Where do y'all want to go? Uh. So, I would like to point out um a lot of things left on the on the the plate here. But one thing that was was startling to me in a good way. <clears throat> Did y'all see the end of Notre Dame game? No. So Notre Dame, they beat um, Georgia Tech 31-13. And I I had Notre Dame laying the points because I, you know, I've been talking all week about how how, like this is Notre Dame's the mindset. Yeah, the mindset. Like we're we're here to, you know, we're here to blow people out. Like we're, you know, we're not playing to win the game. We're playing to prove a point, whatever. At the at the tail end of the game. Notre Dame is driving and I've got uh, sitting at 18 and I'm hoping they score again, but I'm like, no way they will. There's like a minute and a half left. They're inside the 20. They get a first down, like inside the 10. And it's an obvious take a knee territory. And Brian Kelly tries to score. He keeps on, he like up to like five, like, like all the way to the end of the clock. He's trying to score. They actually don't get in, which sucks for me, but I found that like really interesting that Brian Kelly, maybe just everyone hates Jeff Collins. That's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, is Jeff, what's Jeff Collins doing at like the ACC coaches meetings that seems to be getting know, under man. everybody's skin? It's, it's, these guys are, yeah. But it was, it was, I thought that was just a little thing, like not a lot to break down in that game other than just, I thought that was um, a little micro observation that is, was, was interesting to me. Trying to get the boosters happy. I barely saw any of that game because it's like they were they were up seventeen or seventeen seven early in the first half. And it's like the parts that I had seen, I was like, Yeah, Georgia Tech's not doing anything on offense to be able to come back into this game. So I didn't I kind of tuned it out after that. So how about LSU Auburn? Bo Nick's revenge games. Yeah. yeah. I t- talked myself into it being a narrative and uh, spoke it right on into existence for the Cover 3 show on CBS Sports HQ. You find yourself in this corner. It's almost like a sweat lodge, right? Where you just have visions and you're like, wait a second. I think Bo Nix, I, I watched the highlight of Bo Nix blowing it against Auburn in the 2019 meeting too many times. I think that was it. You know, they always show highlights before they bring us on on CBS Sports HQ to ask us questions. It was like I saw the highlights of those missed throws to Seth Williams and those different times that I guess he had, you know, less than 50% passer, less than six yards per attempt, uh, a couple interceptions. I was like, you know what? This is the Bo Nix revenge game. Even though that LSU defense, it, 
including developments this week that include, you know, the transfer portal getting a key defensive lineman. In his mind, in the mind of uh, the son of an Auburn quarterback, still LSU, baby. I think this was a great opportunity to get right, get the good feels going. I still believe Bo Nix is Bo Nix, but I, I totally understand why Auburn fans will view him differently after this win. I mean, he played really freaking well, man. It's it, 300 yards, three touchdowns, 18 to 24. So it's not like it was one of those situations where we've seen him so often just kind of like, you know, dinking and dunking. He was taking shots down the field and he was, you know, accurate with a lot of those throws. Eli Stove was good. You know, mm-hmm. Anthony Schwartz had a, an explosive play. I hear you. Yeah. So, I mean, it was. That was that was probably honestly, from what I saw, that was probably the best game Bo Nix has ever played at Auburn, far and away, in my opinion. So credit to him because he tore them apart. But of course, Mississippi State tore LSU apart too, and we've seen what Mississippi State's done since. But still, that was, that was a great game for Auburn. It was weird because that was still scoreless after the first quarter, and Chip like or no, it was me and Danny who were on the under in our lock agreement. And obviously they're like, oh, man, this is going to be easy. And then it was sweaty at the end because Auburn just exploded in the second and third quarter. Well, I really think things got loose. Like early in the game, it looked like this. Like I, it was hard to tell who was going to be the better team here because they kind of exchanged some drives, some warm-up drives, um, both got a few first downs before punting both looked like you know they they were they came to play uh and then you had what was it i guess the lsu interception um and then auburn converted that into a touchdown and then you had like not long after that an lsu fumble that auburn converted into a touchdown and then it just felt like LSU just started on just this has been a weird year for LSU. And this was I think this was a this was a turning point game. It was either going to go one way or the other. It was either going to obviously be this or I think there's a there world where LSU had gotten a few big plays early, had gotten a little bit of a lead and maybe they're on the 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 other end of the scoreboard with a with a big win and and you know TJ Finley the true freshman quarterback stays confident and uh and then they're off and away and and maybe they got a couple more big wins in them the rest of the way i just think because of all the sort of external doubt that's been surrounding this team because of some of the transfers because of the new coaches like there was a lot of reason and, and because of again this lack of leadership that's been able to be fostered on this roster i think there was it was really easy for them to fold the tents when things got bad. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a, a, a challenge the rest of the year because there's not a lot of easy games left either. Um, what, at what point are you going to start entertaining the idea of Cincinnati Bearcats college football playoff contender? Never. And that's got nothing to do with Cincinnati. I know. I know. But see your, your starting point is the group of five principle, but for the, I think the conversation is at least worth entertaining, not necessarily comparing them to the idea of being in the college football playoff, but 
that they're just one of the daggum like best football teams and they're playing their best football right now. Like the toughest games on the schedule have been in the last two weeks. And I think that the performances that we've gotten from the Bearcats are better than, uh, you know, throughout the Austin P game. I think it's better performance than what they did against USF. I think it's better performance than even what they did against army. I feel like the last two weeks, the Bearcats have been taking some next steps. And as somebody who's been a doubter, especially of Desmond Ritter, I kind of find myself being like, well, I'm still like, I don't want him to be, I don't want Desmond Ritter to be the CPU quarterback in the fourth quarter when we really need to go get a touchdown. But man, just the whole, like we talk, we talk about complimentary football, you know, hit it on the bingo chart. I feel like Cincinnati does a great job of that. They're a damn good football team. I think Cincinnati. <clears throat> ah, man. They like, still, ha- the they thing. still have you. They still have UCF. They still have Houston. And then they've got like, they've got like three games left that are potential losses slash opportunities to impress. It's going to come down to, do you want to send what is literally a ceremonial like lamb to the slaughter to the big three? Or do you want to just like try to convince yourself that the fourth team can actually beat one of these teams? Because as good as Cincinnati is, they're they're like, is that the team? Like right now, is that the team that you're saying is the best is the best test? for one of the big three? No, I'm saying not. No. Yeah. I'm just saying they are playing really good football and and that's like like, something to to celebrate, especially in a season when a lot of teams ain't, they ain't playing good football. Like they even got some, some good players that are masking bad football across the country. No. And and I'm not trying to say that to dismiss the, the, the question or the point either, because it's a question that needs to be asked right now. Um, and, and, Look, they are playing. They're, they are getting better every week. This is a team that a month ago we were like skeptical that they could score more than 20 points. And here they are. They've blown out the two toughest teams on their schedule in back-to-back weeks. Uh, so it's time to – I mean, they, they've elevated themselves in the way they needed to. And, and now, you know, the, the, the debate or the discussion will just go to the sort of typical debate or discussion we have every year about – the best group of five team when there's one that's actually, you know, that, that, that can state, make a, make a case and, and they'll fail that argument at the end of the day. But, you know, to Cincinnati for making this, for, for, for putting up a pretty good resume here. And, and uh, look, they're, they're doing, they're looking great and they got some players. There's no question. I, I'll say in their defense, I mean, again, with the clarification on my part that there's no way in the world they're going to be in the playoff no matter what they do. I will say that if they did make the playoff as like a four seed, because I don't see a group of five team getting in, let alone getting higher than a four, they would play the number one team. So they'd get run, they'd get run by Clemson or Alabama or Ohio state, whoever it was that they had to play. But I'm not convinced that there aren't other power five teams that might end up getting that playoff spot who won't play just as poorly against those three teams. So from like a standpoint of quality of team, I think that, yeah, in a vacuum, this is a team the way it's playing right now, but it has to keep playing this way for the rest of the season. I think that it's not that far off from some of the other teams that will be in the running for the four spot. I would take said. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just that said. I mean, 
would you take Cincinnati over Florida right now or so Georgia? I was going to say Notre Dame. I said I would take Notre Dame and I would lay the points and I would ready to have I'd be so ready to have my little heart broken when the Bearcats end up covering that spread by some <laughs> some way some like a mod sauce gardener gets a pick six, you know, like you know somebody on that Cincinnati secondary comes up with some ridiculous play that fumble return touchdown that ends up getting the Bearcats the cover. But I would take Notre Dame and I would lay the points up to seven, seven and a half against Cincinnati on a neutral field. Cincinnati or the Pokes? Pokes. Pokes. Same. Hey, the thing with Cincinnati is Luke Fickle is continuing to assert himself as the prime candidate for the next big job. If it fits him. Is that it? Is that, is that all Cincinnati is, is a vehicle? to get Tommy Tuberville to the Senate and Luke Fickle to the next big job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Group of fives. They, that is what they are. That's the best case scenario that they are. You could be MTSU and be sitting there on year 10 of Rick Stockstill with 10 more to go. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of like, Hey, best case scenario is you get to run through a couple big seasons and, um, see your guy off and say, I knew him when. Yeah, and it's it's not even just group of five. It's like I said earlier on the show, the way Jeff Halfley's starting off at Boston College at ACC school, you wonder how long is he going to be there if he keeps, if he keeps you know, improving the team like this. True. All right, what else is, uh, what else is on the notepad? I've got... Uh, Northwestern is 2-0. and And... Mm-hmm. Like the the four two and zero Big Ten teams right now are Ohio State, Northwestern, Purdue, and uh, Indiana. Indiana, and of those four, obviously Ohio State is Ohio State, but Northwestern is the only one of the other three that I feel like is a legitimate two and zero. So, what happened in the Indiana Rutgers game? Not what do you mean? They like, won. Yeah, I know they won, but I mean, right now I'm giving the credit to uh, the defense, which, you know, looks like it was taking care of business while this uh, this offense led by Michael Penix, we are kind of like, yeah, and the offense, which is really efficient, and the offense, which does a good job of staying on schedule. I don't think I've seen Indiana actually play a lot of inspiring offense in two games through 2020. Yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't a pretty game. Like, again, this was third screen for me. So I didn't see it. Like, the most attention I gave it was on that crazy play with the weird lateral that scored a touchdown that ended up not counting. But, yeah, Indiana's offense, has, it was didn't look all that great last week against Penn State. It really didn't look all that great tonight against Rutgers. They scored 37 points, but they only had 345 yards of offense. Defensively, I thought Indiana played well because Rutgers wasn't really able to do a whole lot. But... It's like watching the team. It's like they're 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 good. It's just I don't know how good is like Indiana might be a four and four team. You know what I mean? It's like they could be five and three. They could be three and five. They could be four and four. There's they're going to be like a week to week kind of situation. It's going to be matchup based. I think I think some matchups they'll be fine. Some they're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So. I, I I think with Northwestern and Iowa, like 
like you said, I'm still fired up on Northwestern. I still think that they're good. Purdue, they figured it out. The one that I was actually pretty disappointed in from a projection standpoint was Georgia, Kentucky. Mm. 14 to 3. I mean, Kentucky had Joey Gatewood out there. And so I guess I should have seen them figuring out a way to just hang around. Um, but I mean, come on, Georgia. I'm 14 to 3. I'm glad you brought this up because, like, unless JT Daniels isn't hurt. Like there's something we don't know. No, he's definitely got, I mean, there's no, he's got like, I, he has he, to be because yeah. I, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm, I'm about to be out on being a Georgia pod because we were, we were promised things that we have not seen. We became a Georgia pod when they hired Todd Munkin because they were going to revolutionize and modernize this offense. And we have not seen even a hint of that so far this season. So until we see it, Sorry, I'm not. This is no longer Georgia pod. There's only two of four. Ooh. You need a you need a majority rule. Sorry, I'm not I'm bailing. What is what? When you say you're not bailing, Chip, are you saying that you still believe, or are you saying that as a true dog, as a Disney dog, you're going to see these guys through it, through thick and thin, and you're just going to stick by them, or as do a- you actually believe? I don't believe, but okay. I do see this team in Atlanta. I'm going to hang on through Jacksonville because I, today. I know those fraudulent see, Florida Gators. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I don't think Chip believes in Georgia as much as Chip just really likes pissing off Florida fans. Some days. Florida fans got in his mentions. <laughs> I think he's having too much fun just riling up Gators fans. I don't think he's... Because it, it would be hilarious. <laughs> hey, there was a... So did you guys see Richard LeCount got in like a motorcycle accident tonight? Yes. So, and then they had a bunch of injuries like during the game. Um, That's going to be an interesting looking team when they try it out there against Florida. Uh, I mean, Florida uh, could win that game handily. Like I could definitely see just like a... Like all of a sudden, Georgia gets stuck in a fourteen nothing hole, and things just kind of spiral out of control. That's yeah, definitely it, an outcome. And while I I don't trust Florida's defense to be able to let them beat Alabama in the SEC title game, I do think that Florida is a worse matchup for Alabama than Georgia is. At least the current iteration of Georgia with Stetson Bennett, because we already saw how that works out. I do think Florida is capable of giving them more trouble. I think that's. <clears throat> I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I mean, Florida defense did come to play <clears throat> against Missouri. Did you guys see the fight? Saw the fight, did not see anything that led to it. So, a couple thoughts. Uh, last time that you've seen Florida under Dan Mullen sort of head out to the middle of the field and try to fight somebody. It was Vanderbilt. Do you remember when that was? It was Vanderbilt, yeah. right? Todd Grantham hates nerds. Is Todd Grantham the lead? <laughs> Todd Grantham hates nerds more than hate whatever you hate the most. The and he was going to fight he was going to fight those nerds. And then the king of the nerds 
The alpha nerd is is chirping. You're damn right Dan Mullen's going to get out there and fight his butt. So that is the most predictable thing that happened all weekend is Todd Grantham inciting a nerd fight. I know Todd Grantham wasn't in the middle of it, but you can't convince me that Todd Grantham didn't look across the sideline and said that nerd is to us like that. Dan, let's get this thing started. So that I found to be interesting. But other than that, this is a Missouri offense has been pretty good. And they're held to 248 yards of offense, nine yards per. I don't know, man. That was... I thought it was a good performance by Florida. I'm not ready yeah. to upgrade Florida's defense. I, and they I were mean, down they... a couple key players. I get that too. But yeah, they were down guys in the secondary. And I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, Missouri couldn't run the ball to save its life. It averaged 1.7 yards per carry at 40 yards on 23 carries overall. So, I mean, if they could continue to do that going forward, at least stopping the run, I think that helps them out considerably with their problems in the passing game. But it's just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not willing to say slowing down Missouri proves that the defense is healed, but it was a surprising performance because I mean, you guys were both on the over in this game. You, you had the lock on it. I agreed with you. And cause I thought it was just going to be that kind of shootout. And the fact that Florida dealing with all the losses in the secondary dealing with the COVID stuff and coming into this game with all that on his plate and having probably the best defensive performance of the season for so far, all right, maybe, maybe they're getting things in order. We'll see. TBD. I'm going to still believe until the other side of Jacksonville. They slept, walk through the first half for the most part until the big nerd fight happened. And when, and like they kind of perked up after that. Sometimes you just got to get into a little bit of a brawl. You just got to you just gotta punch yourself somebody up. in the helmet, you know, right. break a few knuckles. <laughs> Todd Grantham has been asked so many questions by Missouri J school grads. He couldn't wait. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so many questions he's hated. He couldn't wait. Um, all right. What uh let's see. Name a shut out Mississippi State. Yeah. Mississippi I'm, State. Mississippi State's I mean whew. toast. All right, here, here's a question. I don't think Man. it's gonna happen. But could happen. Could be gone after only one season. Oh, that's not what I thought you were gonna say. No, I don't know. This the, the you I mean you he's he's purging the roster right. He's he's like he is sitting in the AD's office, being like, "Hey, man, we gotta. I gotta get all these guys gone. We gotta get this right. We're getting this. We're we'll, we'll trust us. We'll get it figured." No, I think that they'll be. Um, you got to give him a chance to get his guys in. You got to see what happens in year two. This is this this was always like that. That was what made the LSU win so shocking, is because this to me was the team least equipped to find success in this 2020 season, given the the circumstances. Um, And that's why it was like, how bad is Bo Pelini look? Just letting them off the hook with with that that first performance. But uh, KJ Costello went from like walking on, walking on clouds that first game to like, he's, he may need to transfer again, get another year somewhere. 
And then there's your boy, Devante. Devante. My guy. I saw, I saw you tweeting Devante for Heisman. I believe in it. I believe in it. Tell me, like, tell me he's not the best player in college football right now. I, I don't know that I can. I mean, yeah, you don't know that you can. You can make a case for others, certainly. You could absolutely make a case for others, and you wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but you can't definitively tell me he's not. Like, because that, like, there were plays in that game. Because here's the thing Mississippi State's defense actually isn't that bad. It's actually pretty good, in fact. And, and even in that game, the plays he was making, there, like, I remember one, I think it was Emmanuel Forbes in coverage, and um, he got beat, but then he had a really nice recovery and he played hand, like, he played through the hands, like you're taught to do. Like, he, he and it was a, it was a, it was a nice, recovery attempt to break it up and Devonte smith just plucked it away from his body like with the db crawling all over him secured it touchdown like he just i don't know man i'm not gonna sing the i'm not gonna sing the song of Devonte smith again i just you guys know how i feel just just another ho-hum 11 catch 203 yards and four that's what i'm saying man <laughs> like alabama is just the check that shows up and Devonte smith's part of it like i just yeah. I'm not surprised. You you wonder how many snaps I watched live of Alabama Mississippi State? None. Like I was like, all of my screens and all of my streams were occupied elsewhere. You know, we had Boise State going on. We had a San Diego State under to sweat and cry about. We had Nevada getting going. There was a lot of stuff going on, but I can always count on that check showing up with Alabama. Goodness gracious. Did, did the San Diego State under now? Oh, no, it didn't. Oh, Tex. Tex, you scored too many points, fellas. A late touchdown, I think, gets it at 45 on the final with a 44 under. Brutal. That's a heartbreaker. Heartbreaker. Um, okay, so other things from the notepad over here, at least. Uh, I actually said Georgia, Kentucky is the underlovers erotica, Florida on the horizon. You know, different perspectives on the same game. Uh, good win for Wake Forest. Went up to Syracuse, took care of business. Coastal Carolina effing rolled. That West Virginia defense showed that it wasn't just boosted by Kansas's uh, <laughs> presence on the stat profile. I said, uh, I didn't watch Iowa State, Kansas. That is my note on my notepad. <laughs> just had to remind yourself. Just, just wait. I didn't watch it, and that's okay. It just it happened. Here. That was, that uh, uh, Iowa State hit, I believe, right? Didn't it? Yeah, they went by thirty. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, is Baylor bad? That's another Big Twelve note. See, that's that's what I wanted to ask. Did, did did you guys get any eyes on that game? I didn't, because like I early it was like twenty seven to nothing or something like that. TCU and Baylor kind of worked its way into the game, and I because I didn't watch it at all. I was just seeing like following the score. So I was like. like what, did TCU just completely take its foot off the pedal or what the hell happened there? TCU is also not great. I don't think TCU is great. I think TCU obviously is not so they're like, like, they're like third or fourth tiebreaker in the big 12. Yeah, they, TCU is the fifth tiebreaker in the big 12. You, it's you actually, can afford to lose to TCU. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, what's that? Who, who's got the loss to TCU? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. No, was it Oklahoma? No, it was. Uh, 
I don't know. It's confusing. It's the Big 12. TCU. Who's crying? I don't know. I'm getting like the shakes. Uh, Texas. Uh, uh, yeah, no other things in my notebook here. Let's see. I heard the cry because the my nursery is on the other side of that door. So I was like, did I do it? Yeah, you did it. No, Barton did it. Uh, David Bell is phenomenal. You have a big day? Yeah. It, it's like, because you sit there, you think with Purdue, you know, they lose Rondell Moore. He's not playing. But to have that kid, because like, let's let me look at the stats. He was he was pretty much Purdue's offense, because here's the thing. Purdue beats Illinois 31-24, but Illinois is down to its four-string QB. It was missing a whole bunch of players because of COVID, and it still had a chance to win the game at the end. But David Bell, nine catches, 122 yards, and a touchdown. But the most important thing was... The end of the game, Purdue was buried inside its own 20. Illinois was trying to get a stop to get the ball back down a touchdown. It was a third and long. McConnell O'Connell drops back, throws deep along the sideline to David Bell, who just with the defensive back draped all over him, reaches out with one hand, makes the catch, and pulls it in like it was nothing to get the first down and ice the game. And he was making catches like that all day. Illinois defensive backs were just hanging on his waist the entire game. He was like, nah, I don't care. I'm fine. I can catch anything. He's a competitor. Great basketball player. Productive football player. It's a real deal. Also, today we learned that Illinois does not have the depth to withstand losing its first three quarterbacks on the depth chart. That's probably going to come as a surprise to a lot of people, but it's true. No Brandon Peters, no Isaiah Williams, and who's the third? Matt Robinson started. He got hurt in the first half, and Corin <laughs> Taylor came in and turned the ball over four times. People don't spend enough time recruiting that fourth quarterback. <laughs> That's that's the real problem of quarterbacks transferring all the time is teams just can't build that kind of four QB depth on the roster. Um, I cannot wait to see what happened in Louisiana Tech UAB. I haven't gotten a chance. To yeah, that look was at a that. surprising result. Surprising result. Uh, I'll have to uh, take notes on that. It looks like Virginia Tech got a little bit of a get right game against Louisville. That's another one that I've got on the watch list for coming up on the weekend. Uh, and um yeah, man, I, 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 you talked about Notre Dame, uh, Barton earlier. My notepad says I'm giving Notre Dame the perfect attendance award because they just kind of seem like that uh, that student that you know gets gets that perfect attendance award. They they definitely have all the other academic honors that come with it, but you know only three people get the perfect attendance award at the end of the year. Kind of feels like Notre Dame's gonna get perfect attendance. Sit in the front of the class. Yeah. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of friends do what they're supposed to do. You never see them in detention. Demerit Hall, clean. But they show up. They show up. Before we get going, I want to shout out Texas A&M, who proved definitively tonight that it is the second best team in the SEC West. By beating <laughs> Arkansas, the team we talked about. Arkansas. Yeah. And they're, no, they're, I mean, they, Obviously, they lost the game to Alabama and they looked bad in the Vanderbilt opener, but they've 
looked pretty good in all their other games outside of that. And this was an Arkansas defense that had been playing well. Say what you want about the rest of the team, but AM did pretty well. Kellen Mond is finally kind of starting to look like the kind of kid you were hoping that you would see. And I think that, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that they're not going to win the division, obviously, because they've already lost to Alabama. But I think we could safely say they're the second best team in the West. And they might be the third or fourth best team in the SEC overall. But also, shout out to Arkansas for that tremendous backdoor cover to stay perfect against the spread on the season. Yeah, but isn't that, doesn't that speak to what the SEC West is this year? Like, Texas A&M had a chance to be the second best team in the West, but the bar of becoming the second best team in the SEC West is significantly lower. It's low enough that Arkansas was there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's almost, yeah. I mean, they did, they, they, they looked at, they look like that's the, that is the case, but um, they're also probably not as good as we had hoped they would be before the season. I think that's still also true. Yeah. No, they're, they're four and one and they've outscored opponents by five points, but that's largely because of the Alabama game. And that and that Vandy nail biter. Yeah, seventeen to twelve. Five points is also the deficit in that season <laughs> opening win against the Commodores. Uh, he is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back on Monday as we continue to break down some of the leftovers from the weekend. We will get a early look ahead at some of the lines that are coming out on the. Week 10 spread in college football. The mailbag is open. All you have to do is go and leave a five-star review. Uh, You don't have to be nice, that we would like it if you were nice. But then, of course, leave your question within the five-star review. We will tackle it in our mailbag episode. And then locks and more. You know the way it goes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Get us on YouTube for that multi-platform excellence, youtube.com slash cover3. And every Cover 3 episode available through the CBS Sports app on your OTT device. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.